Hello and welcome to another episode of What Sports. This is your host Mike Jones here with you, and Jeez Louise, ooh, yesterday was one hell of a day. Starting off, we had the Nuggets against the Utah Jazz, and man, that game was intense. Ended up going into overtime. Nuggets dominate that overtime period and come away with a 135 to 125 victory. Really, this game was hugely in question after that third quarter. The Nuggets were outscored 31 to 19 in the third quarter, and most of that was Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell put up some crazy numbers in this game, especially considering they lost. He dropped 57 points, 7 assists, and 9 rebounds. The majority of that coming in the second half. Uh, he just took over for a while, and oof, it uh, wasn't looking good. And part of the reason why he was able to take over in that game is Tory Craig... Uh, ended up fouling out after only playing 21 minutes in this game. Only 21, and that's a huge blow um, to the Denver Nuggets. When you're, Especially when you are talking about a Denver Nuggets team that is sans Gary Harris. Uh, Gary Harris is a great on-ball defender. He's done pretty well in matchups such as Donovan Mitchell. And to not be able to have somebody else to go to when Tory Craig fouled out of that game was definitely a bit of a blow. But to get to the title of this episode, um, we had somebody on our team step up and say, hold my beer. Jamal Murray goes off in this game, uh, especially in that fourth quarter and overtime, really stepping up and saying he is the number two on this team, and he can score buckets as good as anybody. Dropped 36 points, 9 assists, and 5 rebounds in this game, including going 6 of 9 from beyond the arc. 6 of 9. Uh, 4 for 4 from the free throw line. A team leading plus 16 in this game. And this isn't... Just This isn't the first time Jamal Murray's done this. He has a tendency to step up against the best competition. He has uh, mentioned it in, our, in the last episode when Eddie was joining us uh, that Jamal Murray, more so than any other nugget on this team, potentially more than any other nugget will be able to achieve on this team, has that killer type of mentality has that dog in him where when his back is up against the wall, when he is facing the biggest challenges, when he steps up and plays his best game. And he took the challenge from Donovan Mitchell. And although Donovan beat him in the stat book, uh, Jamal Murray beat him in the game. I mean, between the two, I'm pretty sure Jamal would rather have the W than more points, and that is what he comes away with in this one. And it's not just a hold my beer moment talking about him and 
Donovan Mitchell, is a hold my beer moment between him and Michael Porter Jr. During this, during the seeding games, as they were being called, Michael Porter Jr. was the talk of Nuggets Nation. Uh, his ascent and talking about, myself included, whether or not he has put himself in a position to be the second best player on this team as soon as this playoffs, these playoffs going on right now. And Jamal Murray, I don't think in like a vindictive sort of way at all, but the competitor that he is stepped up to that challenge and said, hey, I'm still here. I am the number two on this team, and I deserve to be the number two on this team because I am that damn good. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. did not have the best of game, and it's mostly because of his defense. The Jazz ended up exposing him a lot, uh, doing a lot of um, a lot of for, uh, forcing a lot of trade-offs defensively, and where Michael Porter Jr. ended up being ISOed basically. Uh, he ended with 13 points and 8 rebounds. A respectable stat line. Not not what we're used to seeing from Michael Porter Jr. But he, for the most part, did not play, um, you know, in, in the fourth quarter. And did not play at all in overtime. Uh, because of the liability that he was proving to be on the defensive side of things. Now, you look back to last year in the playoffs... The Malone and the Nuggets ended up doing a lot of the the similar type of thing when treating Jamal Murray. Uh, Jamal Murray has stepped up and become a better defensive player this season, especially uh, later on in the season. He's definitely bulked up coming into the seeding games. He's still not an elite defensive player, but he is a adequate defensive player. Enough so that you don't have to take him out. And hopefully, especially since MPJ was on the sidelines for the playoffs last year, he can look and see what MPJ was able, or what uh, Murray was able to do, and how he improved his game on that end of the court, and just be able to realize, hey, come playoff time in particular, I need to be able to make a stop defensively. Just being six foot ten, six foot eleven is not good enough. I need to be able to move my feet. I need to be able to provide some sort of resistance when a man like Donovan Mitchell is trying to come at me for an easy bucket. And we'll see. I think we'll see in this series growth from him on that end of the court. And I think we will have to see growth from him on that end of the court, especially considering we're going to be getting Gary Harris and Will Barton back at some point, I assume, during this series. If MPJ wants to still get, you know, 30-plus minutes a game with him on a Mike Malone-led team, he has to show that he can play defense. He just, he has to. 31 minutes, none in overtime, um, and pretty much none in the fourth quarter. And the Nuggets actually had a chance 
to win this game in the fourth quarter. They got the last shot, and the ball was in the hands of the man, Nikola Jokic. And I can't be overly upset with that. Uh, but it, it, hindsight, of course, being 2020, you look at that and you kind of wonder, hmm, with how hot Jamal Murray had been in that fourth quarter, maybe they, the ball should have been in his hands. When he took over and dominated that game, when he was the primary reason that they were able to end up sending this game into overtime, it would have been kind of nice to be able to see Murray attempt to finish this game. Now, when you go into overtime and you dominate 20 points to 10, you outscore them 20 to 10 in a five-minute overtime period. 20 points in five minutes. I mean, I'm not too upset with the fact that we ended up going to overtime. What I was a little confused about, if I'm going to be honest, as exposed as MPJ was defensively, his shooting, uh, he was 3 for 7 from beyond the arc, 5 of 13 in general. So, good numbers. The, the, the general field goal percentage, not quite what we would expect from him. But, regardless, he's still... One of the top two or three best shooters. Possibly the best pure shooter on the entire team. I would have thought when you have the last possession, you're going for last shot in the game, that he should have been on the court. You're, you don't have to worry about him getting exposed defensively. You don't have to worry about him getting ISO'd. He can just go out there... And at the very least, put him in a corner, have Jokic, like he did, end up driving to the basket, and just the threat of that outlet. Because if you put MPJ in the corner, Jokic is driving, if that guy comes off of MPJ, that is easy money for MPJ to hit that. It's just another dynamic that could have been on the court there for that final possession. Um, and I, I I guess I just kind of wonder why it wasn't when you don't have to worry about him being a liability defensively in there. Aside from that, just being able to dominate this game, and especially in overtime, was really nice to see. Nikola Jokic ended up with 29 points. 10 rebounds, only 3 assists, which is a little um, little troubling, not, not super troubling. I'm assuming those numbers on average are going to be going, the average is just going to go up throughout this series. But he did not, he was not stifled by Rudy Gobert uh, as much as the Jazz would hope so. Uh, but then again, as Nuggets fans would have liked to see, I assume, more out of Jokic. But when you're going up against Rudy Gobert, it, it you it's hard to expect to completely dominate every game. Because as good as Jokic is, and Jokic is damn good, he is one of the top five players in the NBA, period. 
Rudy Gobert is elite defensively. Elite defensively. So that is just that is a great matchup that's going to be, you know, one of the one of the pivot points in this series. I mentioned Donovan Mitchell dropped 57 points. Uh, Rudy Gobert actually fairly quiet, uh, especially considering there was no Mike Connolly. Um, he left the bubble to go for the birth of his child. Respect. Uh, Bardanovich, um, he is not playing at all, period. He, he's hurt. He won't be playing. And so you look at it, and it's the only... You have Donovan Mitchell. You have Rudy Gobert. And then maybe you can count Joe Ingles. But you would expect more out of Rudy Gobert when he is... He's the clear number two. And it's not even... It's not even all that close, I would think. He's the clear number two. And albeit he scored 17 points, which is only, you know, two off from being the second leading scorer on this team. What is, I find a little more interesting, I guess, is only seven rebounds in this game. Um, Rudy Gobert matched up against Jokic. That's just going to be something to watch. The entire series. Uh, Gobert did bring down four blocks. And I feel like two of those were against MPJ. Another thing that he's going to have to learn going forward in this series. Paul Millsap only played 29 minutes in this game. Uh, not super effective shooting. Three of ten. One of three. But where Millsap brings value is defensively. And if he comes back after this year, it's going to be because of his defensive leadership. So, disappointing stat line offensively. But he did get three steals in this game. He did have a block in this game. And he did make an impact on this game that you just don't see when it comes to a stat line. Jeremy Grant was who really played the bulk of the minutes and when you're talking about a Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap dynamic there. 39 minutes in this game, including all of overtime. 19 points and 3 assists. And interestingly enough, no rebounds, which puzzles me to an extent when you're talking about somebody who is six foot nine and athletic as hell. I uh, should be able to pull down a few boards. But, you know, you win. I'm not going to complain. Monte Morris, 29 minutes in this game. 14 points, 4 assists, 3 rebounds. And, you know, 1 turnover. But, those are consistent minutes for your backup point guard. That that's Those aren't mind-blowing numbers, but that is what you're asking for Monte Morris to do anytime he's on the court. He's not out there to be, you know, to be that dynamic playmaker. We've talked about this before. And limiting it to only one turnover when you're the primary ball handler a decent amount of time when you're out there because you're with the bat, you're with the second unit. To be that primary primary ball handler and only one turnover, that, that is what you want. That is what you expect out of Monte Morris. 
P.J. Dozier with his 20 minutes in this game. Really kind of unimpactful offensively. Three points, one assist, and two rebounds. Another, the other player to see minutes off the bench was Mason Plumley. Only 10 minutes, though, which I do find interesting. Uh, 10 minutes, 2 points, 2 assists, 6 rebounds. And I think a lot of that has to do with just this this matchup. I mean, and obviously you're playing behind Jokic. Uh, and Jokic is going to play a huge chunk of the minutes here. And you're going up against a team that's not necessarily very big outside of Rudy Gobert. So you're not, you don't need a lot of size inside. Uh, you need to be able to be fluid and move defensively. Which actually brings me to another point I have here is defensively late in that game, you started to see a bit of zone played by uh, Denver defensively. And it seemed actually kind of effective. Uh, when they started going to that zone was when Donovan Mitchell started to slow down uh, offensively. You can attribute it to that. There was also this eight-second violation, uh, which was really squarely on Donovan Mitchell's shoulders there, uh, who's not going to really get credit as far as the stat line goes for that turnover is Jokic. But Jokic is who made that play happen. And it's not because he was uptight pressuring and forced Donovan Mitchell not to bring the ball over. But it was because on the initial inbound, Jokic deflected it. It went out of bounds. So two seconds went off of the clock there. So when Donovan Mitchell got the ball the second go around, in his head, I assume, he still thought he had the full eight seconds when he only had six. And the eight-second violation ensued, and that was kind of a pivot point in this game. And huge props to Jokic, and you won't see it show up in the stat line, but he he made that happen. But they also went to that zone defense. If this is some, if this is an adjustment that Denver is making going forward. It is interesting, and um, and I'll definitely be interested to see how this ha how this is handled, because playing zone defensively does try to cover up some deficiencies as far as being able to move your feet, especially on the perimeter of a MPJ. But another name that comes to mind when you're talking about playing. Zone defense is Bobo. I was not, and I still think it's somewhat of a long shot, uh, expecting to see Bobo get minutes in these in the playoffs, uh, at least any meaningful minutes. But if you are looking to play primarily zone defensively, that is that is a recipe for length that, that that and as a recipe to have Bobo out there on the court because he won't he he defensively his best attributes play right into playing zone he is long 
he is tall, and he is athletic enough to move side to side. So, just something to keep an eye on if Denver is going forward, and if this zone defense is something that they are looking at as a long-term adjustment, potentially, against this Donovan Mitchell-led attack of Utah, that maybe, maybe you might see some bowl-bowl going forward. Now, let's, let's, uh, let's look at the rest of the bracket in the NBA. Uh, last episode, we kind of went through and talked about the NHL and a lot of the other matchups there, but we did not have a sh- chance to talk about the NBA bracket, mostly because it had not happened yet. Um, the, there was one play-in game, really the biggest change to the playoff format for the NBA was the play-in game, and it was in the Western Conference. Uh, I would have loved to have seen it be between the Trailblazers and the Suns. The Suns ended up going undefeated in the seeding games and missed out because of just just a bad first half of their season. Missed out on that, and Memphis got it, even though Memphis had a horrible seeding round. And predictably, they lost to Portland, which Portland is possibly the fourth best team in the West, and they're kind of like the avalanche in the NHL. They suffered from an abundance of injuries that really hampered their season from getting going, and now they are healthy, and they get to go and take on the Lakers. Side note here real quick, Memphis... Ended up in this playing game. Uh, they were out without uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. A decent reason as to why they struggled so much in the seeding games. But throughout the season, the reason they got to where they were was because of Jean Morant. And if you remember, the Suns were this... Here, they were this close to making the playoffs. And the Suns should have been in place to get John Morant. Uh, and I made an argument um, back on the EMP show that if the Suns got John Morant, that they were a playoff team. And I think this just goes to prove that that was right. Because uh, John Morant almost single-handedly if not, maybe not single-handedly, but he was the primary reason that Memphis got into this playoffs, even if it was just the seeding game. And if you put him and his ball distribution skills on that Suns team, that is not just a playoff team, but give it a few years, that could be a team that wins their first round matchup. Him with Booker, with Aiden... That would have been a very entertaining team to watch. and But we won't get it. That aside, Portland wins that game, goes on to take on the Lakers. The first game of that, I believe, is today. And this is a series that is not your typical 1-8 matchup. I do think the Lakers will end up winning this series. But I think this is going 7. 
at least six. And it would not shock me. It wouldn't. If Portland ended up winning this series. Because you're talking about such a dynamic front court for, I'm sorry, back court for Portland. You're talking about Lillard and McCollum. And the Lakers just don't have the personnel to match up with that as well. Yes, they have LeBron. Yes, they have AD. And AD can match up against Nurk inside and potentially neutralize him. But Nurk's the third best player on that team. Who is going to take down Lillard? Who, who's, who's going to match up on Lillard? I would assume it's going to be LeBron, but I don't know if LeBron is going to be able to hang with him for, you know, 40 minutes every night. And then even if he does, you got McCollum. I, I, I like I said, I still think Lakers win this series. But when you're talking about a team that is not your typical 8-seed team in Portland, they have a chance in this series. Moving on to Rockets OKC. This is almost a toss-up in my book. Um, Westbrook is out for at least a bit with the Rockets. And with that, and the fact that they had finally started um, towards the end of the regular season and kind of continued in the seeding games, Harden and Westbrook kind of found a rhythm playing together. Obviously, Rockets bought completely in on playing small ball. They could, they were a good team. You take Westbrook out of that situation, they're still a good team because Harden, as much as I dislike him, he is still a very good offensive player. Very good. Elite offensively. But you're going up against OKC. You're going up against CP3, who is older, but so so's, so's Harden. Not as old, but he's, he's older too. But that kind of veteran leadership on OKC, and that kind of defense that CP3 plays, I... I think OKC takes this game. You have Steven Adams, who is going to be playing in the middle. Um, and he's just... There's nobody on the Rockets team that's going to be able to match up with him height-wise. And especially physicality-wise. Adams is one of the most physical centers in today's NBA. And matching up against a Rockets team that bought so hard into playing small ball... I don't know how they're going to be able to contain Steven. Now, Steven Adams is not a dynamic offensive player. But when you have... When you have, you know, four inches on somebody, when you have and 30 pounds on somebody who's guarding you, you don't have to necessarily be dynamic offensively to be able to put up those easy buckets. Those easy bunnies, if you will, inside. So, this series can go 6-7. I am going to say OKC ends up winning this. Best player in this series is James Harden. Best team is OKC. Denver, Utah. Denver wins this series in 6. 
I'm going to say maybe seven, but I'm going to say six. Clippers, Mavericks. Now, talking on this game real quickly, because this happened yesterday. The Mavericks end up losing this game. It was close down the stretch. They end up losing this game. And a huge factor in why they lost was Porzingis was kicked out. He, He was ejected from this game for getting a second technical. His first technical was very, very touchy. Uh, You're talking about, as refs, you're able to hear probably way, way more of what players are saying than you normally would. Because there's not, you know, tens of thousands of fans screaming at you. You're able to hear more of what they say. And Porzingis apparently said something, um, reports say he said, like, come on, man. I mean, and if that is accurate, that's not even, like, vulgar or anything. But he got his first T on that. His second T was when Morris was coming after Doncic. And coming after him physically after, you know, it was a hard play. Porzingis stepped up to defend his teammate, to defend the best player on his team. And um, laid some hands on Morris. Not, no punches were thrown or anything of that nature. But he he stepped in more to separate Morris from Donkic than to separate Donkic from Morris, if that makes sense. So he steps in there. That gets him a second tee. And this is in the third quarter. You're talking about taking out the second best player on the Mavericks, who lose this game by eight points. Porzingis only played 19, almost 20 minutes in this game because he was ejected in the third quarter. And that was a huge impact on this because Porzingis is just, he's dynamic offensively. And he's a shot alter. He he's a shot altering defender. When because he seven foot three, it's hard not to be a shot altering defender. So ejecting him, huge impact on the outcome of this game. I've said long that the Clippers are a are are the best team. I especially out in L.A., I pick them over the Lakers. This matchup for the Mavericks between the two LA teams is the more favorable matchup for them, just because they don't have in in the Clippers they don't have a Anthony Davis to lean back on, to say hey you go match up and you you use your physicality against Porzingis. He is a matchup problem for the Clippers, and the Mavs were just robbed of the opportunity to really exploit that in a close game. The Clippers win this game, win this series in 6-7. Really, I, I think these are all good series. And it's rare they're able to see, say that uh, and you are able to include the 1-8 matchup and the 2-7 matchup. But I think the Mavericks, a lot like the Nuggets, are a team on the rise. They're a team that, kind of like the Nuggets last year, need that third horse. They don't, it doesn't have to be like a superstar third horse, 
But I need another option to go along with Doncic and Porzingis. But I think Mavericks, assuming Porzingis doesn't get kicked out of every game in the third quarter, has what it takes to push this series deep. Now you flip out, flip over to the other side, and you talk about a couple of series that aren't going to be series. Milwaukee and Orlando, okay? Um, wow, actually looking at this, at the time of this recording, the Bucks and Magic game is going on right now, and Magic have a 11-point lead on Milwaukee. That is not something I was going to I would have predicted because quite honestly I would sit here and I'd tell you Milwaukee sweeps this series. And you know what? It's still it's not even the fourth quarter yet. So it still could very well happen. I, I'm I'm not gonna at most five games. Milwaukee's just far better and the East is just not nearly as deep as the West. Next series, Indiana and Miami. Uh, this could be a good series. My money is on Indiana. Uh, you got Oladipo back, and they're kind of, for the most part, starting to find their stride. But it's going to be a good series. I'm going to take Indiana in six. Then Boston, Philly. Philly does not have... Simmons, okay, they're, one of their two superstars is out for the entire playoffs, and that changes the, the dynamic of the 76ers, as much as you can sit here and say that, you know, they did not work well together, no matter whether or not they work well together, you take a superstar talent off of a team, the team gets worse. And it's a big impact on that team. And as good as Embiid is, I'm not the biggest Embiid fan. Um, and part of that is being a Nuggets fan. I think he's overhyped in the sense that people think it's actually a competition between Embiid and Jokic for who's the best big man, you know, best center in the NBA. And I don't think it's I don't think Embiid is in the same stratosphere as Jokic. But when he's healthy, which is a big, big win, and when he has energy, which is also a big, you know, question mark there, because he seems as much as crap as Jokic gets for being out of shape, Embiid is the guy who goes out there and just looks exhausted half the time. Even with all that, when he when he has all that going for him, he is... A damn good player, but he is not somebody who can single-handedly take over a series, in my opinion. Boston wins this in five. Maybe. No, they win this in five. Sixers might steal a game. At most two. But Boston wins that series. And then you got Toronto and Brooklyn. This is another one that's not going to be a series at all. Uh, Toronto sweeps it. They're up one nothing already, and I don't see that. I don't see that changing at all. The the Brooklyn Nets are without Kyrie. They're without KD. I mean, they didn't have KD all season. 
they're just not going to be able to hang with Toronto. But this brings me to the other Denver team in the playoffs who played second yesterday. The Air or the <laughs> the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> the Arizona Coyotes got curb stomped by the Colorado Avalanche. Colorado Avalanche came out there after a thrilling win by the Denver Nuggets, said, hey, hold my beer, and just poured it on the Yotes. Came out, put up three goals in the first period to take a 3 nothing win, including two goals. Two goals in about three minutes by Kadri. Took a 3 nothing lead. Donskoy made it 4 nothing in the second period. The Yotes did get one by. And then, oh my god. Oh, you have Kale McCarr. Now, we're, we, I've talked about the Nuggets. They have their, potentially their big three now. I mean, can you imagine having a team that goes out there, has a top five level talent, Jokic, has this guy that everybody's, Donning as the next Kevin Durant in Michael Borden Jr. And then you have Murray, who's capable of dropping 40 points whenever in any game. You flip that over to the Avalanche, you have a top two, if not the top player in the NHL, in Nathan McKinnon. And then you have Miko Rantanen, who's having an off, uh, somewhat of an off series. Still playing really well, but for him an off-series. He may not be a top 10 player, but he is an elite talent in the NHL. And then you add on to that, Kale McCarr, who could be... Could become one of, if not the most dynamic defensemen in the entire NHL. Talk about a spoil of riches here. Kale McCarr, in this third period... He just makes this guy look ridiculous. Like the move he put on him. It was kind of it was an ISO. We've been talking basketball a lot. It was an ISO. He took the defenseman, he turned him around, and he made it look so smooth, just backhanded into the net. And I don't know that there's a a forward on the entire Coyotes roster that could have done the moves he did there. And he's a defenseman. Wow. And the, the Avs end up winning this game 7-1, take a commanding 3-1 lead in the series, and it's the series will be wrapped up on Wednesday. It'll, it'll be over come Wednesday. I would love to dive into and talk about the Colorado Rockies. Didn't get to it last episode, and unfortunately I'm out of time for today as well. I'll going to be trying to get back on here and move on, move up to doing two shows a week. Because the Rockies have gone through a bit of a slump, but then they exploded. And then they lost 2-1 to to the Astros yesterday. Common denominator is basically the pitching is still really good. The pitching is still really good. The, the, the bullpen has had a couple leaks, but the pitching's still been really good. 
But that's it for today's show of What Sports. I am your host, Mike Jones. You can give me a follow on Twitter, on Instagram, at AKCoachJones. Give a like, give a follow, give a comment. I will talk to you again soon. Much love. Peace out.